Sponsored by the Dunleary Ratdown Local Enterprise Office. You're listening to Business Eye with Joe Dalton and Simon Haig. Business Eye, yes, the 28th of February, normally the last day of the month, but it's a leap year, so tomorrow 29th. I wonder how many women out there are going to propose to so many men. I'm sure there's a lot of guys sitting at the edge of their bed this morning going, I wonder will she propose to me? I wonder tomorrow is the big day. And we will only know. But unfortunately today... I have to say my co-host Simon is not with us. He is on his holiday. He did say, as you probably know, last month, or last week, I should say, that he wasn't going to take his phone with him. But I did see an email come in from him this morning. So I'm questioning, did he or did he not do it? There is the big thing. We have a few guests coming in today. Um, Today is going to be very interesting. And I think we'll start off our our interview first with Giles Hutchins. Giles is a, we would say, a futurist and a senior advisor to many large companies and organisations. And he's all about leadership and consciousness. And I have Giles on the line. Giles, are you there? I'm here. Good to meet you, Joe. Uh, Giles, I know we've, we've seen a few email correspondence bouncing around uh, between myself and yourself and Simon and there was a bit of confusion but we eventually got here. Ray, Ray, Ray. Tell me, tell me a futurist. Is that something that um, you have learned to accept or is it, is it, is it you, you reading a lot of the information that's out there or is it your gut feeling that makes those calls that you can see what's happening in the future? It's both, really, actually. I mean, it's both. A, a, um, I mean, Carl Jung, uh, the famous um, psychologist, um, talked about our four different ways of knowing, you know, the intuitive, the rational, the emotional and the somatic. Um, and actually, when you draw upon all of those four, you can sort of tap into the field. Um, so, yes, I, I obviously use the rational. Um, I'm aware of what's going on in business. Um, I, I have relationships with organizations across all sectors i can uh, sort of get a sense of the pulse um and yet I, I i do rely on intuition and um synchronicities and pathways and sensing what's going on in the system i love that you also um step up to the plate and call yourself a conscious leader um, and it's one of the things that interests me the most because one, I believe there is a lot of leaders out there, but if we can make them conscious entrepreneurial leaders, amazing things can happen within organizations. Where do you see the, let's call it the consciousness revolution, um, where do you see it going in 2020? Well, uh, something very exciting is unfolding just over the last six months. I mean, I left corporate life from senior positions eight years ago now, and in that time I've been advising uh, different organizations. And over the last three or four years, I've noticed a bit of a shift. It's really culminated over the last six months. Um, Part of that, I think, if if you could envisage four circles, one around leadership, 
consciousness, well-being, mental health, um, personal development. And then another circle is the organization, agility, self-management, um, allowing it to become more alive, more purposeful. And then another circle, which is strategy and innovation. And the other fourth circle, sustainability and corporate responsibility. Traditionally, those four circles have all had different people, different languages, different silos, uh, different terminology. All of those are coming together um, because of the systemic challenges that we face. And running, I was just helping with a workshop last night with a big, big uh, corporate, and they had people from across the organization, across all of their different silos. Quite a lot of them quite young people as well, um, 30 um, uh, somethings. All of them really deeply passionate about sustainability, about well-being, um, um, working for a company that is more purposeful. Um, but what's changed is that you've got senior leaders in the organization also going, we have to do this um, to be future fit for the next few years because there's so many disruptive innovations happening. Unless we can be more conscious as an organization and attract and retain high-quality talent, um, we're, we're going to struggle. It's, inter it's interesting because I know that there is some large multinational uh, companies especially um, try to bring consciousness into their organization in America and they found it quite difficult um, you know they, they were reading up on it they wanted the, the company company to be more aware they wanted to introduce this into their leaders and they struggled they struggled trying to roll this out right across the globe so and that was only in the maybe the last two years or so um, so it's interesting that there is that movement. I know that you said that you, you, you know, you were in corporate life for many years and, and you left it. And I think that's where there's a collective consciousness. I think there is a movement of people now really care. You know, they, they, they want to see changes because we see things that are happening in, externally in our organisations. We can see things that are happening internally. That's what the likes of gossip and the likes of, you know, middle management, micromanagement. And people, I think, at, at, are, are ready for that change. And like what, we, what we've done here as well, we've created the, the Conscious Business Academy. And I know you mentioned four circles there. We're talking about, we know, we, we've seen that there's an issue with culture. We see that there's an issue with leadership. We see there is a concern with, with selling. And we see there's, there's people want to know, is there a mindful way of marketing as well? So with all this happening, it's exciting. It's really exciting with what's coming down the line. And is with with more companies kind of going, you know, we're interested in this, but we don't know how to do it. Do you think that's opening up a huge, big industry that we haven't really absorbed yet? Well, as I say, you know, uh, I think the silos are there. There's the depth of knowledge or... Uh, so if we take a step back a bit, what the, the real shift that's happening is a shift in way of thinking, a way of perceiving, a way of relating um, to life itself, not just in business. And that shift is essentially from mechanistic, a mechanistic way of managing, controlling, thinking about our organizations as machines, um, to a living organization, to recognizing that the organization is actually made up of messy, unpredictable um, human relationships, and that actually we can learn from living systems, and we can manage them, we can create the conditions for, the, for that living organization to come alive. So that, that's the first kind of shift, is that shift in 
way, a logic really, a way of thinking, a way of perceiving. Today, still, much of the MBAs, business schools, um, content tombs of, of leadership development work that's out there is still largely mechanistic. Um, so that's why myself and Laura Storm wrote the book Regenerative Leadership, um, really to put a flag in the ground and say, look, here is how we can learn from living systems, and this is how we can apply it to all of our organizations, regardless of sector and size. And yes, around the regenerative space, I think there is an exciting revolution happening. Um, I, I just I think it's important for us to cross the silos of culture, well-being, um, sustainability and strategy. Otherwise, it kind of falls too much into, oh, this is about making the organization more sustainable or improving mental well-being or finding a purpose. Um, well, actually, it's all of that and more. It is more because a lot of organisations will, you know, the, the senior management, uh, say MD or uh, MD, MD, management directors, yes, uh, CEOs out there, they will probably a lot of them will sort of look at the business from a financial, so there's an accounting background. And they're looking at, when they're looking at an organisation, they're looking at the building, they're looking at the cash flow, they're looking at, they're looking at all these things that to them what is money and what moves the, the company forward. But I think you are right. I think people are looking at other ways and looking at stuff that will help a business grow. And it's not to do with, you know, the office, the building, the, the numbers that are, that are on the balance sheet. Mm. It's the human relationships. That's yeah. what makes our yeah. yeah. businesses thrive. Yeah. And it's quite funny how we've assumed that we can kind of digitise our way. I mean, I used to work for a big management consultancy and we would implement IT systems. Now, okay, we would wrap some process change and people change around that, but it's essentially about implementing IT systems, which of course now those organizations are struggling to try and upgrade because of legacy issues. Uh, I think we've moved a long way um, over the last 20 years that I've been in business. Um, I, I think what I'm, I'm trying to emphasize is that we could still get caught on it, it, it either falling into the culture change um, or the strategy um, or sustainability um, uh, and I think what I'm sensing happening over the next few months and, and into the future is that actually those silos are coming together so the con conversation is now more pervasive across the board about well what is the purpose of our organization you know it's all well and good as having a sustainability strategy but why are we even producing these products and services in the first place are they actually helping society are they contributing to the kind of world that we all want to live in it's it's yeah i think you're right and one of the things that it's, i'm just clicking on there as well we spend more time in work awake than we do in a normal day you know we all go home we have eight hours sleep at night but on a on a weekly basis we spend more time and organizations have in the, in the past were just companies and can we not just kind of say to people look let's turn these into into you know communities you know the people that you're working with on a day-to-day -day basis you probably know more about them than you do actually about your neighbors three door down or the people that are living in the apartments above and below you 
So these people matter in your life. And there's not a time that companies don't look at it as an organization. They don't look at it as a brand, but look at it as a community, a community that everyone is thriving and helping everyone within that organization. Because we know we only know 25% of people, and that's 75% of people we don't know, and they could be struggling. But if we're more aware and be more conscious about what's going on it could a, a business could be a community and if it goes that route it'd be very interesting to see the results that it has in purpose and profit within within the future totally totally i i, I couldn't agree more and i think what underpins why we we struggle at the moment with communities is because of the ideology around the machine thinking, but also around how we project our view onto how life is, that we assume it's innately competitive. Everything's dog-eat-dog competition. Um, And that ideology is actually false. It's based on false assumptions. The more we look into how nature really works and how living systems and human communities really work, we see that they're fundamentally about collaborative dynamics. Yes, there's competition, but that competition can be healthy about enabling us to become more of who we are rather than undermining each other. And so rather than seeing this organization as a machine with these silos, and you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation about the inner and the outer, how the organization on the outside is interrelating with its partners, its suppliers, its regulators, its its clients, all of that stakeholder ecosystem, uh, the outer community and the inner community can really just be unlocked by us becoming more human. Yeah, that's true. Giles, we're going to uh, we're going to take a break here. We're going to wrap it up with you. Um, thanks for coming on. I think there is a bigger conversation that you and me are going to have um, at a later date, um, where we're going to really delve deeper into consciousness and what can happen in, within an organisation. So, I think there's a, another show looming there uh, sometime in the very near future. Um, where can people catch you at the moment if they want to get your book or want to reach out? Give us your email address or give us the name of the book again and where people can connect with you. Regenerative Leadership is the book um, and there's a website for the book, www.regenerativeleadership.co. Um, you can find me at gileshutchins.com, so that's G-I-L-E-S-H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S.com. And I have a blog that people um, are enjoying following called thenatureofbusiness.org. Beautiful, beautiful. Giles, you have a lovely, super weekend. And um, we will talk again, my friend. Talk again. Take care. See you. You're listening to Business Eye, sponsored by your local enterprise office in Dunleary Ratdown. Together, we're making it happen. And Friday afternoon is slipping away nicely, nicely. I think I'm going to just not talk for the rest of the show. Anyway, yes, folks, that was interesting. We had Joel Hutchins on the uh, talking about leadership and consciousness. And it was got a bit of a tongue-tie twister there when it was saying consciousness as well. I think it's just one of those days. I'm getting tongue-tied with a lot of things. Our next guest name is throwing me, Radina. What is your last name? Try that, Nedelkova. Nedelkova. There we go. A mouthful. Text in if you can spell that, please. We will be delighted with that. A LinkedIn expert in HR, helping people be the best they can be online, so the our possible possible future employers may continue on that conversation with them. Would that be the best? 
description of what we can say? I wouldn't have said it better than you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you were, before we get into that, you were, you're only back in the country. I am indeed. Yes. Where were you? I was home surprising my dad for his 60th anniversary. 60th anniversary. Oh, my God. That's not a million miles away from me. <laughs> oh my God, I'm crashing. So you had um, you mentioned there that it's cold over there, but it's a dry cold, and here it's a damp cold. It is. What brought you to Ireland so many years ago? Indeed, it's been over seven years now at this stage. Honestly, I didn't plan to come to Ireland nor to stay in Ireland. Yeah. I knew only Guinness, leprechauns, and sheep. Which are all, oh well, which are all, it's <laughs> quite strange. <laughs> a, a drunken leprechaun riding a sheep. That's, Basically, that's yeah. It, yeah. That yeah. was the, the story I had in my mind. And um, it was for personal reasons. Um, my uh, boyfriend at the time, he got a job at Google. And who says no to Google, right? So I followed. And then four months later, I ended up in my dream job working at LinkedIn. Oh wow! Yeah, so LinkedIn—it's—it's—I'm—I'm it's, I'm fascinated with LinkedIn because it seems to have the claws into every business, and it can—the trends can see what countries are having, you know, an explosion or what ones are going into recession because they're so vast. But I'm also at the moment quite concerned about LinkedIn. Because are they getting so much control that people are relying on this on the product so much? Will they start dictating to people of what they can do and what they can't do? And will it then end up being just like another Facebook? That's a good question. Well, it is the biggest professional network at the moment. Yeah. And it has over 650 million members. It is powerful. It is a monopoly. Um to your question in terms of dictating the rules, to a certain extent, yes. But you do want to separate your personal brand from your professional brand. Explain. So you, you mentioned Facebook and there are other social media channels that people are using, particularly youngsters. Have you heard of TikTok? Yes. My okay. daughter asked me, could she get on it the other day? I went, no, it's only seven. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I'd say that that's probably the starting age for TikTok. Yeah. But all of the social medias have been created with the purpose of driving interaction online. Mm. So if you think about Facebook, it's where you interact with your family and friends, former colleagues. It's a bit more informal space. And this has been the purpose of it. LinkedIn has been created to serve as a bridge between the professionals worldwide. So its purpose is entirely focused on creating your professional image online. This is the difference. There's a difference on it. And I don't. I know you're not working for, with LinkedIn, but one of the things which I find quite interesting is they, they say to people, you can connect with so many. And if, you know, I've had conversations with people who they told me they've been blocked because they were connecting with people. And they say, you can only connect with your friends. But then if you look at, they have influencers out there who have 100,000 connections or 35,000. There's nothing to hope in hell that I know 35,000 people in the world and know them all. But so there's this, this grey area that they're kind of, OK, you can't speak to them. We're going to block you from them. But this guy over here because is allowed to have 35,000. So, you know, where it's all about someone sitting, a group of people making a decision and feeling that decision then is law. Mm. 
I, I get what you mean. In general, the idea is you should connect with people that you know or people that you can interact with, people that can be helpful to you and you can be helpful to them. The problem is that there is a tendency, and I suffer from that as well, where you get connection requests from randomers without any context whatsoever. And if you are sending way too many requests to people that are not within your um, industry or within your network, um, they don't know you and they might block you. Yeah, it's like I'll send a I've 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 a criteria. One is if they don't have a picture, if they have no content on in LinkedIn, it's just a name, a company. Uh, I uh, no. If they've got ten followers or ten connections, I'm probably being a bit biased. They could have just gone on to LinkedIn, but I don't know them either. So kick kick them off as well. But I grow my network because one of the reasons why I grow our network here is because. We have a radio station, we have a radio show, and I'm reaching out to people because of the content that we're sharing may be of interest to them. So my numbers are quite good in that way, and I have an advantage being on the radio. But I'm sure there's other people out there that have great content who are trying to reach people, but LinkedIn are going, no, you can't do that. And that's a good point as well. It is important to have quality over quantity. And what you mentioned is context. So you're reaching out to people who might benefit from the information that you're providing. That's a whole different story. A spammer would be someone who is trying to sell you something via cold approach. Um, so on LinkedIn, I would advise always, and you mentioned the connections versus followers, you do have limitations on both. When it comes to connections, it's 30,000. Yeah. When it comes to followers, you can create and build a momentum. For example, I have over 14,000 followers. So I wouldn't perceive myself as an influencer, but I have limited the opportunity, limited the opportunity for people to randomly connect with me. They can follow me, but I made it slightly more challenging for them to connect with me. Yeah, well, I wanna, if I do connect with people, I don't just hit connect. I send everybody a request and it's going, do you want to connect? Do you know, I have a radio show, blah, 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 and, and, and move on on it. But I also get, and I am, if someone kicks on to me and they're in a country that I know I'll never do business with, I kind of go, okay, I'm not going to connect with them, but they might be interested in my show, so they should follow me instead of connecting with me. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's right. much better, and they would still get information from you without bothering you through a connection request. So it's a smarter way to engage with people. And what about, um, I'm hearing that there's, there's some big companies in America as well who are automating all this. Is that forbidden, or is that, a, is that just going to come the norm you know, to reach out to people? It is pretty much a gray area. And to be honest with you, I don't agree with this approach. I don't think it's the right way to um, automate your reach on LinkedIn because there is no better way of selling than through a personal connection, building relationships. Even if it's online and you're not seeing the person, you have to be smart about approaching them. I don't believe that the code approach works on LinkedIn anymore. One one of the things that I like as well with, with, the, with the system is... And one of the things I don't like, you get people who connect with you and then you and everyone connects with me. I then go, thank you for connecting. And you, they, some of the people don't respond. So is it just to them? They're just trying to build their numbers because we know social proof 
helps people go, oh, you 14,000. And people go, oh, there must be something there. This, this is how reality is. You know, or if someone has 20,000, they go, oh, that must be some, something there. But it'd be nice for those. It'd be nice if we all, like, even if I get a spammer who spams me and then tries to sell me something, I actually respond to them going, thank you very much, but unfortunately I'm not in the market for your services at the moment, thank you. And I send it back to them as well. I do exactly the same. And I think it's it's the kind approach, the kind way of responding, because it is someone's time. So the least you can do is just thank them for their time. I wouldn't engage, similar to you. And in the end of the day, it is not a numbers game. Even if you open a profile of a very influential person, you'll be able to see 500 plus. And there isn't a specific number of how many connections they have exactly for this purpose. Everything is 500 plus. So the fact of the matter is when you're engaging with someone, it's more about the value you can Good. give yeah. to them. Yeah. So going into HR and you leaving these large companies and going and starting up your own niche, which was using the power of the knowledge that you gained from LinkedIn and Google. What are you noticing that people are doing or not doing when it comes to their own personal brand for getting getting future employers wanting to connect with them? Particularly when it comes to LinkedIn, it is important to create a story. And we hear that over and over. Storytelling is an important skill, soft skill that you develop over time. LinkedIn is not your online resume. It's a life tool that you can leverage to your advantage. And the good thing um, about it is that it's completely different to your CV. You can talk in visuals. You can connect with people. You can do blog posts absolutely for free that can reach a number of audience, people that you didn't think you can reach. Um, so it is it is a content platform, it is a newsfeed, and of course, it is a job platform as well. Yes, it used to be a job platform. I don't think it is a job platform anymore. I think there's some people out there, I know there was one employer, he said that if he thought that any of his staff were on LinkedIn, he actually thought they were looking for a job because that's what it originally was, you know, or brought on. Um, and it's so more, It's for me, it's my Rolodex. You know, it's where I connect with people. I have conversation. Probably nearly everybody that I that I have on this show and my other show have connected through them on LinkedIn, on it. But going back to a CV, is it a CV? You know, really and truly, if you look through it and and fill out all that information, I'm sure some companies when they ask people for a CV, they download a PDF from LinkedIn and send it to them. So is it is it actually a CV? It could work as a CV, but it's much more than that because you can ask for recommendations, for example, which is not something you can embed on your CV. The CV is purely track of record. Um, The LinkedIn is a lot more about your brand and about your achievements. So I would say, yes, uh, it's a good practice to download the PDF version of the LinkedIn profile. uh, But the more um, information you provide, the more you give about your personality and your professional expertise. And you're so right. A lot of employers still do have the mindset that um, if someone is on LinkedIn, they're looking for a job and they're completely forgetting about the fact that 
every company now has to focus on their employer branding. And each employee is a brand ambassador. We're going to take a quick break because I'm going to come back about what some people feel about LinkedIn when their employer asks them to reach out. So we'll come back on that and we'll take a quick break and see you later, guys. You're listening to Business Eye, sponsored by your local enterprise office in Dunleary Ratdown. Together, we're making it happen. Welcome back. Welcome back indeed. We're just waiting to try and connect with someone on the phone um, to talk about an amazing event that's on next week, which is the Local Enterprise Week. Uh, Lots of great speakers that are going to be based around the country um, sharing their knowledge and wisdom with everybody for a very special week's event. But anyway, what what we were speaking just before the break was about HR and we were speaking about people's profiles and speaking about, there's one of the things that I've noticed as well, companies are getting people to be wrapped around LinkedIn and getting them to call it ring fence. Say they're looking to interact with a, with an employer or they're looking to try and get a company on board and some employees are reluctant to kind of go, hang on, this is my own personal, my own personal um, social media, and I don't want to be sharing the information with clients out there. Have you come across that, or what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I actually have seen situations where people don't feel as engaged to the brand of the company or have a specific role that they don't feel they would be the best brand ambassadors. Um, in any case, I think particularly if you consider LinkedIn as your database of contacts. Remember, we used to have the yellow pages as your go-to when it comes to contacts. Now, whenever you know you have an interview, you go on LinkedIn and you try to see the profiles of the people that already work in this company. So if you appear as an employee of a certain organization, um, it's highly likely that someone is going to check you because they're coming for an interview. So from that point of view, I think it's helpful to embrace to a certain extent the mission and the goal of your employer. That doesn't mean that you have to do an over-promo for them, um, but you have to also communicate what you feel comfortable with and what you don't. So if, say, someone is looking to move from one employer to another, one of the things they should really look at then is their LinkedIn profile. And is that important that they have a engaging image that their bio or about is very much um, eye grabbing or creating curiosity? Like, is there is there certain things that if like for me, I have it to attract people to do business with. So I'm not looking for to you know to be to, to be recruited. But is there a way that it, you can do it that get people to stand out and go, okay, yes, we've got the CV here. Let's look at LinkedIn. Okay, this is the candidate. And the other part of the question I want to ask as well, has there been cases where people have had great CVs, but when you've looked at their LinkedIn profile, they haven't matched up and they've lost, they haven't been called for an interview? Absolutely. And uh, when it comes to the first part of your question, I think the about me or the summary section is pretty important. It is basically your mini cover letter. As you said, in your case, you're not actively looking for a new job. So the purpose of your summary is to attract potential clients. If you're a job seeker, then obviously your goals are to identify the right employer and the right position for you. So I think 
if I can give an advice to all the candidates out there, definitely utilize all the different sections of your LinkedIn profile because it provides additional impression about who you are, both as individual and as a professional. Okay, so it's it's really sort of ticking the boxes and saying, but do people lie on LinkedIn though? Of course they do. You you always try to identify who is lying and, and who is not. But you asked me about the, the good CV and then the bad LinkedIn profile. Yeah. A lot of the engineers are really fed up of being approached on LinkedIn for various of roles that might be not in their even in their span of interest. Um, so what they do is they actually focus on their resume and they eliminate any um, trait of social media. So that happens quite often. And in the end of the day, yes, people will always lie. But um, if you are inviting someone for an interview, you obviously have questions prepared so that you do a, a deeper dive into their expertise and then figure out who's lying and who's not. Yeah, it's it's it seems to be that it, it's all sort of evolving around. Like I remember the CV and you used to print off you know, 50 copies of the CV and get them bound and then the post and send them out. I think that's all gone now, is it? You know, it's, and then it was, you had to have it in three pages and then you had to have it in two pages and then you had to have it all in one page and soon it'll be, you know, half a page because people don't read anymore. Oh, you'll be surprised. There are people that still bring their CVs um, to a specific company. And it really depends on, of course, the industry. The hospitality sector is, and retail, for example, are the ones that still accept resumes when you show up in the shop or um, in the cafe or in the bar. Um, and there is no one size fits all in terms of the length of the CV. Um, one thing that is valid, though, in any case is that it has to be user friendly. It has to be readable. What about video, the power of video as a CV on LinkedIn or I, just generally? I personally love that. I think it's um, authentic. It's very different way of approaching your resume. Still, if you think about compliance and doing the right thing, now the HR in me is speaking, you still have to have something in writing like your track of record. Yeah, okay. But I think you've you've a probably better chance of getting an interview if you have someone who does who does a, a video, you kind of go, okay, this person has made that extra little effort and probably will be called in for it. One other thing which scares me as well when I'm looking at people, say, say someone will connect with me and I look at their profile and one of the things that I look at is their employment records. I don't know why I've not connected with it, but I, if I see someone who has a year here as a manager and then six months here as a manager somewhere else or four months here as a manager or a year somewhere else, it kind of brings up in my mind is what's happening within this person's journey. And other people will say, well, that's what people do now. People just jump every six months or a year. And th that is not that is no longer a concern. Am I just old-fashioned in a way that I like to see that someone is, you know, can can stay somewhere for a long period of time and gain knowledge and experience because it costs employers X amount of money to put people 
through the paces. I think your reaction is pretty normal is and okay? understandable. Uh, but in the end of the day, it is also a fact that things have changed dramatically in the past three, four years. So if, let's say, five years ago, you would completely rule out this person and you would say they're a job hopper. Nowadays, it's actually not the norm, but it's very, very common. So you shouldn't be afraid to give them a go if you see something that um, you believe would be a good match for the role you're hiring for. Oh, brilliant. Look, we're just going to just take a quick jump on a call here. We know we have Owen Lafferty on. Owen, are you there? I am, Joe. How are you? Ah, Owen. We were all panicking here. We got, can we hang on the phone? Poor Alison was taught, taught that you had vanished off the face of the earth. But I go, no, Owen is reliable. He the run-up the run, the run to Enterprise Week, 22, <laughs> 22 events, I'm afraid... Uh, Circumstances uh, t- took over there, Joe. So I'm very sorry, um, but I'm delighted to, to have a slot and to uh, oh, chat about it. Tell everyone what's happening next week, and it's not to be missed. Please, please, please. Well, it's more a question of what isn't happening. Yeah, well, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like I said, 22 events. Um, we are we have something for everybody, really, Joe. Um, you know, we're starting off talking about. Um, Pricing, which is something I think is close to everybody's heart, and anyone that's in business will uh, will understand how important pricing is. Um, so that's that's at seven thirty on Monday morning um, in the Lexicon Studio, and that's that's kind of kicking us off. And we we talk about you know finishing off. One of our key events is an event in the Pavilion on the Thursday. Oh, sorry, I'm Thursday, yeah, and it's about. Basically, we have a gentleman called David Mead over from the UK. And David is an expert in understanding language and the impact of language and how it can actually influence an outcome. Um, so David works at Harvard University and several blue chips. Um, and, you know, he, he's well-renowned, highly entertaining. Um, so he would he's, he's a must-see, really. Um, and then, you know, we're doing the usual stuff, David. We're doing a lot of stuff. Um, Joe, sorry. This is so, this is what's happening when you're doing uh, 22 events <laughs> live, live on radio. We've we've had this we've had this before, haven't we? <laughs> we have. God, I tell you what, it's just anyway. It's all good. It's all good. But it's so exciting, Owen, because you know you say 22 events, but you have something in the morning, something in the afternoons. You've you know stuff going on in late afternoons, in the evenings. You've organised a walk, you know, a networking walk up around. Liney. like this this only is for me it's not only just share people sharing their knowledge and wisdom it's a huge networking event within the county as well that is we've over 800 people coming to the event we still have some uh, spaces left you know it gives us an opportunity to showcase actually what we're trying to do for businesses as well joe yeah and one of the things is i mean that we we discussed this before we're very conscious of the impact potential impact of brexit um, you know, so we have um, the Lean program is something that's well known and well understood in in the kind of manufacturing side of the of the house. Yeah. But it's something that you know what it does. And companies who engage in lean technologies or lean processes, it forces them to look at any waste where there might be waste in there, basically between the company and the end user, and that's really powerful. So they can have up to twenty two percent savings 
in uh, in costs, they increase retention, increase productivity, etc. So we, there's a website actually if people are interested. It's called Lean DLR, L-E-A-N-D-L-R, and there's some amazing testimonials, videos. It's actually quite emotional um, for people are actually talking about their lean journey, the impact it's had on them it's and their sense. staff and their culture and how it's empowered them, you know, and freed them up, sometimes frees them out of the operations altogether because it allows the staff, it basically gives them the kind of the courage to bring the staff uh, closer to the decision-making and uh, enabling enabling them. So it's very, very powerful. It's, look, it's the, the stuff that you do out there. And, you know, you've changed people's lives. You've, you know, they've now grown to bigger companies. You know, there's people who lives are um, have changed, you know, mortgages, kids in school, because of what the Lean program has done for their employer when they started off. So, it, you know, there's many stories out there and good stories about the success from it. But just jumping back onto next week, it's going to be, you know, you said 800 people. You know, I, I think there's going to be more. There's a lot of chatter on LinkedIn and on Twitter and right. Facebook about it. And, you know, even speaking to people today, they're saying they're buying their tickets today for some of the events are on. Oh, and give a shout out if anyone wants to, you know, grab a ticket for next week. If you can give us a shout out of where they can get those tickets, um, please far ahead. Yeah, thanks, Joe. <clears throat> so the, uh, the 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 address is enterpriseweekdlr.ie. That's enterpriseweekdlr.ie, and you'll see the the whole host of events there. And we'd be delighted um, to see everybody there. Like you said, it's great networking, but we have gone to great efforts to bring the best uh, speakers, the highest quality speakers we can. We realise that SMEs don't get a lot of chance to train. And uh, we're bringing um, the, the, the experienced uh, speakers and coaches, etc., um, to them, and uh, in a concentrated week. So, make the effort, invest in yourselves, and we hope to see you there. Brilliant, Owen. Looking forward to catching up with you next week. Have a super weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Will you be there next week? I am actually. Are you? Yes. Yes, yes. I'm going to two of the events. Oh, which events are you going to? I'm going to the morning networking and then um, another one that is focused on education and chatbots. Oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, they are great. Last year was just, it was amazing. Last year was, yeah. And uh, I look forward to them. Look forward to them. And it is about networking. It's about those communities. And uh, jumping back just on your own networking how do you find your clients? Well, I've been pretty privileged. Coming from recruitment and HR background, um, my LinkedIn network is quite big, and I've managed to kept in good relation to keep good relationships with um, a lot of the people I've worked with over the years. So um, I know it might sound funny, but all of my clients have been coming through LinkedIn or referrals. Well, that's yeah, and I think that's a big thing. A lot of people reach out on on social media, and they kind of go, "I'm not getting people reaching out to me." Mm-hmm. You know, action causes reaction. Really True. Does, yeah, um, and I've seen some of your videos that you have up online as well, and some of the interviews. So it, it does it does build. Who's your ideal client? Well, that's a great question, and I've always struggled with that because on one side, I want to work with individuals that are wondering at the moment what should be their next step. And that's not about age. It's not about industry. It's not about role. It's about mindset. 
Uh, and on another hand, I love working with startups because they're really open-minded to embrace change um, and to drive the best practices they can get. So I really enjoy setting up the talent strategy for them, leading them, educating them, and off they go. That's that's a good answer. We're getting a nod <laughs> in there from Alison, our engineer in there. Where can people find you? Give us your website, your LinkedIn profile. If someone who's interested in jumping careers or want help on strategizing their leap forward into the into the next journey of their life, where where can they catch you? As you can imagine, I am always on LinkedIn. No way. And when you start typing my name, Radina, it's R A D I N A. Most likely, I'll be the first result that you will be able to see. And you can't make a mistake with that blonde hair. So. Whoever wants to engage with me, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my business is called Vox Advisory. So this is www.vox-advisory.com. Radina, thank you for coming on to Business Eye. Simon, thank you for uh, being very quiet in the corner there. Simon's, Simon's very quiet. Simon's, I just had a terrible thought. I think Simon's sitting on the beach. To, you know, that's, I won't go there. Anyway, uh, Alison, engineer, Thank you very much again. A storming job. Uh, we thank you very much. And uh, everyone, have a super, super weekend. And we, my Simon will be back next week. And we'll talk to you then. Take care and God bless.